When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Ladies Who London podcast. Happy International Women's Day, everybody. Woo! If you are a woman listening or you are, you know a woman or you're next to a woman or you've heard about a woman, then celebrate them. I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyway, welcome to this episode of the Ladies Who London podcast. It's me, it's Alex. I'm back all on my own this week. Um, no uh, no guests at all. Um, but that's going to change because we have a new co-host starting. I wonder if you can guess who it is. I'm not going to tell you this week, but um, very shortly all will be revealed. But we do have a new co-host, which I'm very excited about. And she approached me which I'm even more excited about because it means she actually wants to do it. So starting from uh, probably next week, I think we're going to get uh, my new co-host on. Uh, but firstly, thank you all so much for all your lovely comments after last week's episode. I have had so many emails and messages um, that I can't even read them all out because th- th- there was just so many. Um, but across the board, it was thank you so much for Kate. She was amazing. And yes, yeah, she 100% was. And people have asked to have her back. So I've already put that to her and she's very interested in doing that. So we'll, we'll get her along again in the future to talk about something else. And actually, that would have been a, a great one if I thought about it to keep it for International Women's Day. However, this week, um, we it's been a very busy week for me. I've got quite a lot of stuff going on in my life at the moment, which um, I can't tell you about at the moment, but it, I will tell you about at some point in the future. But right now it's 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 quite, quite mad. Um, so my plan was to record an episode all about a woman, uh, which would be good for International Women's Day. And in fact, on that note, um, I, I did get a, a message from Despa. So hi, Despa, who said, oh, I've just listened to the episode of the podcast. And then I turned on BBC Radio London and there you were as well. Yes, I was on BBC Radio London last week. I was also on again either today or tomorrow, Thursday, the the 9th of March. I'm not sure. I feel like it was for today. I pre-recorded something this time. Normally I'm live. Um, But I wonder if you can guess. They they wanted me to talk about a woman uh, who was linked to London. And I wonder if you can guess where I went, who I went to. My first point of call uh, to do just like two or three minutes, which I pre-recorded and they're going to pop out on the radio. Of course, it was Noor Inayat Khan. 
So uh, if you haven't listened, so it's on the, the morning show with Salma Elwadani, uh, who's really lovely. I did some uh, stuff around Christmas with her as well. Uh, so either go and listen back on the BBC um, London, Radio London, iPlayery thing, whatever they have, but BBC Sounds, whatever. Anyway, um, or listen in tomorrow and it might be on. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, where was I going with that? I don't know. Yes, my plan was to do something all uh International Women's Day and then I very simply ran out of time and I kept thinking I would do it today and today has been an absolute bun fight so I'm afraid this is not an International Women's Day podcast. We're actually going to talk about a man um, which is something that I recorded a, a few weeks ago with one of my colleagues and very best friends who has been on the podcast before, Mr Simon Whitehouse uh, and so I'm going to pop that in as this week's podcast um, but I think next week we will try and maybe do something womany um, to make up for that. But yeah, sorry, I'm a bit all over the place at the moment. Anyway, um, let's crack on. So this week we are talking about um, a character that a lot of Brits know about. And a lot of, if you're not from the UK, it might be a name that is new to you. Um, That's the name of Dick Whittington. Now, if you're British, you just went, ah, (laughs) because he is a very famous character in pantomime. Uh, at the end of uh, it was around Christmas every year, these kind of crazy theatre things that we do. And one of the popular uh, stories is of Dick Whittington. So Simon and I thought we would have a little go at dispelling some of the myths. Well, I say me, he did. And I just sort of listened along. Um, and we wanted to see, was he thrice Lord Mayor of London? Did he have a famous cat? Did he come to London because the streets were paved with gold? Did he go up to Hampstead and then hear the bells calling him back to come and uh, and, and meet his fate to be the thrice Lord Mayor of London? Well, all will be revealed. Now, of course, because he is called Dick Whittington and Simon and I being the way we are, there's quite a lot of euphemism around his name. Uh, we're going to go with it. I'm probably going to pop an explicit warning on this week's one just just for, you know, uh, for comedy value. Um, but let me hand you over to the lovely Simon Whitehouse to talk all things Dick. Well, listeners, we have a treat this week because we have another lovely guest who's someone that you have uh, experienced, say that, experienced before. Um, And he is here to give us his dick. So this is Simon Whitehouse. Welcome back to the podcast. Wouldn't be the first time, Alex. (laughs) Good evening, everyone. Lovely to be with you. Um, Now, I'm slightly just saucy, but what what, what are we talking about this week? (laughs) Or rather well, we're talking we're talking about one of the most famous figures in London's history, Richard Whittington, better known as Dick Whittington, who was the Lord Mayor of the City of London. Yeah, and if three anybody, times, th- three times, thrice Lord Mayor, of thrice London. Lord Mayor of London. And uh, this is quite a fa- he's quite a famous figure for Brits because those of us. Those of you who listen who are either are Brits or who are Anglophiles or have spent some time here in the winter season around Christmas will know that we have a thing called pantomimes, which are a lot of fun. But one of the, the popular uh, stories for a pantomime is the story of Dick Whittington. And the story goes, this sort of folkloric story that he, he came to London where the streets are paved with gold to find his fortune um, and wasn't having any luck, and and he had a cat, a black and white cat. No, that's hang on, that's postman pat. Anyway, he had a cat, and ended up 
deciding now nah, stuff it and, and left London, went off up to Hampstead, I believe, where he heard the bells in the city of London calling him back saying, return Dick Whittington, or turn again, isn't it? Turn again, Dick Whittington. Thrice again, Dick Lord, Whittington. Thrice Lord Mayor of London. And he did, and he came back, and he was Lord Mayor of London three times. So obviously that is a, um, a cast iron, factually correct story. Uh, but in the event it weren't, uh, Simon is here to put us straight and tell us the real story behind Dick Whittington or Richard Whittington, uh, the rest Lord Mayor of London. Yes. Well, there are elements of the story that are true, but the real story is, as is often the case, much more interesting even than the myth, really. Yeah. Um, so shall I... Shall I tell you a little bit about? Let's. Who is he? What? He, what? Where did he come from? What's? What's his? Yeah. Tell us about yeah. your Dick. So, okay, let me tell you about it's my Dick. Filled with my 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 version of Dick. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of that tonight, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so, Richard Whittington was born probably in the year 1358, which, just to put that into context for our listeners, is ten years after the Black Death has raged through Europe. Mm killing, you know, a third to half the population. Um, and although the story tells us he's a poor orphaned boy, um, he wasn't that poor and he wasn't actually an orphan. Um, oh. So he was actually the son of a knight um, and his lady, uh, Sir William Whittington and his wife, Joan. And he was born in the manor of Pauntley in Gloucestershire. So we're sort of in the, you know, the Cotswolds. And Very nice place to uh, be born and, and to grow up. Yes. Well, it would see. I suppose today, I, I, I'm, whether it was, I don't know whether it would seem like it to them, but but they were sort of. I mean, they, they were titled. They were gentry, mm. um, but they weren't really ca very cash rich. In fact, his dad died when Richard was about eight years old, and although there was land, there wasn't a lot of cash, and there wasn't yeah. quite enough cash for, you know, the family to keep to keep going. So so. Dick was sort of forced to go and earn some money. That's the idea. Because he's the, th he's the third son. So that meant that he was, he's not going to inherit the estate um, and he's only got limited options. Yeah. So what's he going to do? Well, he's going to, well, he could do lots of, he could go and he could hang around Gloucestershire, meet a nice girl, a wealthy girl, you know, get rich. He could, he could um, go into the church, you know, go into the law, go into medicine or learn a trade. And mm. that's what he, he does. Um, and he makes his way to London from Gloucestershire, which, you know, probably a week's, a week's journey, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. We're not sure how he got there. Um, but I was, and this is my theory. I mean, you know, when he, as we know from uh, going to the Cotswolds a lot, what do you see a lot of in the Cotswolds? Sheep. Um, well, sheep, that's right, sheep. So he sees, <laughs> you know, literally, uh, you know, thousands of sheep um and of course the wool trade was was absolutely vital it was the it was the backbone of the english economy yeah. um and that's really interesting i think because maybe that kind of you know sort of inspires him and he goes to london possibly travels with a carter we don't know and he he does actually become an apprentice to a mercer oh right a mercer so, a, yes mercer. Um, that, so a mercer being a a merchant who deals in the export of wool from England, and that wool is turned into very fine uh, fabrics. And yeah, and other and other fancier things as well. They dealt with linen and silks as well, didn't they? The mercers and, and things like That's that. That's right. So they kind of so they kind of exported the wool and they imported, imported yeah, the velvets stuff. and the silks. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
so and we do know that he he ended up in in the, the sort of the he was he was apprenticed to this chap called Fitzwarren and and that's that's in the story in the pantomime Alderman Alderman Fitzwarren uh-huh. um and probably kind of did probably eight years apprenticeship that kind of was the standard length of time for an apprentice um, so what age would he have come to London then so he would have been probably 10 or 11 oh wow um, so young yeah yeah probably actually that's a good point and... because because it's a bit young to become an apprentice you don't normally start being an apprentice until you're about 14 mm. so it's likely that he starts like on the lowest rung of the ladder in the household and in the story you know he's 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 a scullion you know he's he's a He's a, he's a scullery boy. So yeah. that kind of might be true, that he started out, you know, in the household and then kind of worked his way up, started his apprenticeship about 14 yeah. and probably uh, became a master mercer at maybe about 20, 21. So um, not, not and- an orphan and not poor, but at the same time, not in line to the money, because that's going to the eldest son and sort of, yeah, like you say, bottom of the bottom of the ladder, third son, parents yeah. don't really care about him. <laughs> you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And also... And also, you know, when you become an apprentice, you, you 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 have to have some money. There has to be some kind of financial um, arrangement between the family and the the person you know um, that you're apprenticed to. So there must have been some kind of connection. We think his mother probably had a connection with the Fitzwarrens in London. Right. So there was there it was it, you know he was set up. He 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 was set up. He didn't just turn up in London and and hoping to find a bit of work. Just kind of giving no, them a call and going, we've got we've got this third son. We don't really know what to do with him. If you've got space, can you take it? Yeah, yeah. I don't want it. Yeah, sounds a bit like, like that. <laughs> we've got we've got we've got our heir. We've got our spare. And the third one, whatever you can have him. <laughs> yeah, so he turns up in London. Seven or eight years of apprenticeship. Yeah, and he's um and the area where he lived um, some of our listeners will, will know is Leadenhall Market or it oh. sort of. Leadenhall Street, which runs sort of, you know, just um, on the north side of Leadenhall Market. And that's where Alderman Fitzwarren lived. So that's where he lived. And the Mercers worked just a little bit further um, west of Leadenhall Street. So if we go along Cheapside today in the city of London, um, mm. the Mercers Hall um, is still standing there today. Yeah, probably uh, like and that's 10 where minute the 10-minute walk. Like walk. Yeah. Mm. And the area was known as the Mercery. Um, and that's where the Mercers tended to uh, congregate and and to trade. Yeah. yeah. Um, and interestingly, very, very close to the Church of St. Mary Le Beau, uh, which, of course, is going it's to the be Bow Bells. Yeah. Yes. Literally and figuratively. Let's see what I did yes, there. Let's yes. see what I did there. <laughs> All right. So we've got him in London working as a, essentially a teenager, as an apprentice. Um where how does he get into the the political side of things because that's quite a big quite a big leap i mean we are talking about the city of london which is works very uniquely doesn't it in terms of its its political you know you don't kind of go into politics in the city of london you you go up in the ranks of of um uh, companies of, of of well these livery companies in particular and then you get to a rank where you are sort of deemed in the right spot to kind of go forward. So it's not like a choice between trade and politics, is it? But where did this whole thing come from, no. from him having decided to kind of jack it all in and naff off to Hampstead? Well, just just so our listeners sort of understand this. So, so the city was divided into 24 wards in the Middle Ages. Uh, it's 25 now, but it was 24. And 
each ward was represented by a number of council men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the head of each ward was an alderman. And each year, an alderman was elected to become the Lord Mayor of the City of London. And of course, that is still the way the City of London is governed today on this medieval system. So long story short, the first actual concrete mention we have of Dick Whittington is in 1389. Uh, sorry, 1384, 1384. And he is elected to be a councilman, one of eight councilmen in the ward of Coleman Street. So that's off. It's his kind of first step on the, you know, what we call the greasy pole of uh, politics. Um, <laughs> and then four years later, he's now found himself an alderman. So um, councilman, all, darling. yes, yes, <laughs> alderman, yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, and by this point, he's also, um, he's also sort of connected very much to the king and the king in question is king richard the second mm. um who'd come to the throne in 1377 and what he's doing he's supplying fabrics he's supplying expensive you know as you're saying velvets and cloth of gold to the royal household so he is a supplier he's yeah. a, he's a royal household supplier and um we have an extraordinary statistic that he he was um he, he provided £3,474, 16 shillings and eight and a half pence worth of expensive fabrics. That's a lot. I mean, that's we're talking a lot. 1300s. Any, any idea on what that is in, in modern cash? Well, it's always hard, isn't it, to, to kind of yeah. convert it to modern day. But if you if you think that a labourer was earning about £5 a year mm. in the fields, that tells you it was, it was, um, it was a lot of money. Now, yeah. also, the key thing, and this is really key, is that he's also loaning money he's also making loans not just to the city but he actually loans money to the king in 1397 um and then what happens in the same year that he loans this money he loaned about a thousand pounds uh the then lord mayor a man called adam bam couldn't complete his term of office uh because he died. Oh, well (laughs) yeah that's uh... it's like barter you know (laughs) high office um and you know now the city was independent from from parliament right so the city is run independently still today but mm. king richard ii who was quite capricious uh decided the city wasn't run terribly well and he decided to intervene and after adam bam died he appointed dick whittington as the lord mayor oh now he wasn't supposed to do that as king he wasn't supposed to appoint no. the lord mayor he was supposed to be the lord mayor was elected but he appointed him the lord mayor um and w- without consulting the rest of the aldermen Anyway, later that year, Dick was confirmed as Lord Mayor by the Alderman. So he was sort of elected. Um, just as well. Just as well, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and what's interesting about that is that then he's elected again in 1406, quite a few years later, for a year. Um, and then he's elected for the last time in 1419. So when we say he was elected Lord Mayor three times, thrice mm. Lord Mayor of London, that's true. Yeah. But technically, I guess, if you count the fact that he was appointed Lord Mayor by Richard first. It's actually four. It's actually thrice Lord Mayor. Fri- thrice. How do you say that? I don't even know how you say it. Anyway, it doesn't scan quite so well, does it? So, we, no. so I think thrice is better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's just say he was Lord Mayor three times. And you said that he was Lord Mayor for a year. And that is the that is the standard term for a Lord Mayor in the city of London is one year. So that's not unusual. That's your standard term. Um, and now I believe you just do the one. You do, I don't know if you can. Can you get re-elected? 
In theory, you can. It hasn't happened very often. I no, think it's happened. happened well, of course, time. it of course it did happen during COVID. Um, uh, oh, well, that, the, I the, know that. There we go. Yes, William <laughs> William Russell. He 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 was Lord Mayor for two years. Um, they just wanted to, to maintain continuity. continuity yeah. Um, but and I think actually right from the very beginning, way back like in 1189, when Henry Fitzalwin was the first Lord Mayor. You serve. You could serve as long as you liked. I mean, I think he. I think he served twenty five years. Henry Fitzalwin. But yeah. But by Dick Whittington's time, it was it was just a year. Just a year. Yeah. yeah. Which is still yeah. the case today. Apart from that's right. COVID. Still the case today. <laughs> yes, aside from COVID. Um, but don't you think, you think it's an interesting idea that you know this? I mean, can't imagine you know somebody loaning money to like you know. No. A, a politician in return for favors? Can you? Especially I mean, not a thousand pounds in in a period that where. That would have been an exorbitant amount of money. So he's clearly doing very, very well for himself. Yes. So none of yes. this, you know, oh, ragged clothes and oh, woe is me type thing. I mean, he's he's doing very well for himself before he becomes Lord Mayor. So there is this story, isn't there, in the pantomime that he goes off, you know, he he sort of dejected and he goes, oh, sod it, we're going to leave London and and off he goes. And then he hears the bells calling him back. So it sounds like that that wasn't a thing, that he wasn't going, ah, naff it and, and I'm off. No, no, I don't think that's that, that's true. But it, I mean, it makes for a, a, a sort of good, makes for a good story, doesn't it? And also, there's a slight problem with 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 the story because the the accounts of the story vary. But as you said, um, you mentioned Hampstead, so the idea is that he leaves the city and goes to actually it's Highgate, which is oh, is it Highgate? Right. Highgate it begins with an H. Um, it's in the north, whatever. Exactly, Hartford, <laughs> Highgate, Hereford. You know, Hereford. Uh, Hartford hardly ever happened. Um, but he, so now the problem is Highgate is about four miles from um, the city of London, right? Mm. So had he heard those bells calling out to him from Highgate, I mean, you'd have to have like supersonic hearing, wouldn't he? So... Well, I mean, if you think about it... Think how noisy gonna... it was, all those bells. There, there, there was a hundred well, yeah, churches. Yeah. You wouldn't know <laughs> which bells it was. It was. Um, but I mean, this the thing is, we, we talk about the bow bells, which is the ones that, that we're talking about. They're not, it's not bow in the east end of London. It's it's um, St Mary Le Beau on Cheapside. Um, yes. And we talk about if you are a uh, a true Cockney, then you're born within the sound of Bow Bells. And that used to be quite a large area, didn't it? Because, of course, there is no ambient noise that we have today from traffic, from general, you know, machinery, from all that stuff. And if you think, if you strip away all of that, it'd be amazing to see how far we could hear things. Um, I For a while, I was living with a friend in uh, a few years ago in Elephant Castle. And, OK, it's not hugely far, but she could hear Big Ben from her house which is hmm. quite exciting. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the wind took you right, but again, there were so many churches. I mean, what, 50-odd churches in the city of London alone. So hmm. you'd have to be sure that it was just that one that was ringing. Yes. Um, so, yeah. But it was quite a famous bell, I guess, the the, the great bell of Bow. It was, mm. it was, and it was a much bigger bell than there are in the church today. Um, and it was the curfew bell. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's kind of how it got into the, into the legend, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I suppose if it was the curfew bell, I, I imagine you would have been able to hear that quite a distance. But uh, hmm. yeah, um, fight about then, that, everyone. <laughs> and then what happens is 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 Richard II um, uh, dies. Um, well, in fact, as we, uh, we we know, he was usurped, in fact, by his yes. um, his cousin Henry Bolingbroke in 1399, and now we have a new king, and that's Henry the Fourth. And of course, Richard died owing the money to Dick Whittington. He, he didn't actually oh, pay the money back. He hadn't paid the £1,000 back. And I think nice. it says something about Dick Whittington that Henry IV paid the loan back. Did he really? Yeah, he paid the loan back um, and continued to um, 
to kind of tap Dick for you know <laughs> to, for money um, throughout his reign. Um, so the extraordinary statistic is that Dick Whittington made a total of sixty separate loans um, over the the reigns of three monarchs. Richard II, 60. 60, 60 separate loans. And um, one of them was just a thousand. Couldn't, yeah. I mean, what? He's the, like the bank for the kings, isn't he? Yes, he was. He was, the, he was the king's banker. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, as also, again, we know from sort of our, our medieval history is that loaning money, of course, was, mm. you know. Um, frowned upon. Frowned upon. Uh, and certainly loaning money with interest was absolutely forbidden within the Christian church. And that's why William the Conqueror had brought over uh, the Jews in the 11th century to take care of all that messy business of, you know, loaning money with interest. Mm. Um, so Dick was much smarter than that. He, he wasn't asking for um, finance. He wasn't asking for interest on the loans. He basically was asking for, you know, favours. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good um, place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you don't, you, you, I suppose if you're, yeah, if, if you don't so he's like a loan interest. shark, really. I mean, yeah. isn't he? Got him over a barrel. If the king goes, oh, you can't do that. He's like, how much have I loaned you, actually? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that he does is um, he, he obtains, from Richard II, actually, he obtains a letters patent. So this kind of, you know, exemption, effectively, from paying the wool subsidy. Um, oh. Now, what that means is that is that the, the kings were very heavily reliant on the wool tax. Mm. So every time wool was exported, a, a tax was levied and it, it was paid to the king. Um, so he was he was exempt from that tax. Oh, very nice. So his, his product is going to be a lot significantly cheaper than everyone else's. Either yes, that or yes. It's the same and he's making a lot of dosh. Yes, he can export. Yeah, that's right. Wool more cheaply than than any Jammy other. Sod. Mercer, Jamie Sard, exactly. And obviously that, that that's a sort of knock on effect because the wealthier he gets, the more money he's got to loan to the king. The more uh, perks he gets, the more benefits he gets from the king. So it's oh, a you goodness. know, it's amazing. Um, and wow. eventually, uh, and this is this really interesting thing is that he um, he eventually becomes he's appointed the collector of the wool custom and subsidy in oh, london oh look how that happened oh look i know at that um and this is pay I, it, but he's got he can go around and collect it from everybody else and the reason he got the job was because the previous person um that had held the post had died and that person was jeffrey chaucer what the writer of the canterbury tales so okay, this here's the thing now. you don't realize that dick whittington and jeffrey chaucer are like our contemporaries that's no, I'd never. I must yeah. say, I'm not 100% sure I knew that Dick Whittington was quite so long ago. Yeah, yes, yes, I suppose because it's, yeah, maybe because we because we're used to seeing him in in, in pantomime, pantos, in, in dress. It's not him, is who's who's the the drag character in Dick Whittington? I'm trying to think now. Oh, the drag character is is usually these days Sarah the cook. Oh, um, right, yes, and in the original and in the original story. Um, uh, th there is a cook. Um, and in a, in the earliest pantomime version we have of Dick Whittington is early eighteen hundreds, and Joey Grimaldi, who was oh, of course a very very friend. famous, our friend Grimaldi was a, was a great clown and acrobat, and he was also a pantomime dame, mm. and he played Dame Cicely Suet. Who oh, was who was the <laughs> the great name Dame <laughs> Cicely Suet, and she was the uh, cook. In, in in the household of Alderman Fitzwarren. And in the original story, the reason Dick leaves uh, is because she beats him. Oh, is that why? I have to say, yes. I haven't seen Dick Whittington as a he's treated, though, He's, he's treated really badly. I don't, I don't think you necessarily get, get the beatings in the pantomime. Um, 
So it's quite, a, you know, it's like a story of workplace bullying, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's kind of a modern <laughs> story of workplace bullying. He's like, stop this, I'm off. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Um, so, so this idea of him becoming the actual collector um, of the wool subsidy. Um, so, so he can give himself a license to export wool without paying the customs duties. And to, to, to give us a modern analogy, that would be like getting the chief executive of Goldman Sachs to become like the head of the Financial Services Authority. You know, it's a massive conflict That's of interest. Absolutely brilliant. But also, I'm wondering, you know, he's collecting all of that. Is all of it going to the king or is he, you know, creaming a little bit off the top? Well, and who knows? Um, but he certainly he certainly amassed um, a small fortune personally. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't like and a we'll, small fortune, to be honest. Well, no. Uh, uh, Sounds like a pretty epic one. <laughs> yeah. But as we just will discover, um, he he did he did great. He did great things with with his wealth. Oh, okay. Um, so he got married. He did actually. Now he did get married to the daughter of the oldman. Um, oh, really? Yes. Her name family? was Alice. Alice Fitzwarren. And 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 when you go to the pantomime, it's always you know Alice Fitzwarren that he marries. So that Amazing. fits true. Um, they didn't have any children, um, and she died in fourteen oh nine, I think, off the top of my head. Um, so he was alone. He was a widower. Um, until his death in 1423. And you said he was um, re-elected in 1409 or 14... Uh, yes, he was oh, okay. uh, for, the, for the second time. Second time yeah. yeah. Um, Big year for and, him. And he starts to think, I guess, about, you know, I guess he starts to think about his, you know, immortal soul and, you know, uh, doing, as all these people, well, not all, the, all of them, but some of them did, think about doing good works, you know. Um, and he starts to kind of think about how how he can make, life in london better for people um and he starts financing um all these different projects um in in the city of london uh the legacy of which is still with us today um and that's what people don't realize is that Such dick whittington else. well uh, and it's quite a long list but i mean just just some highlights um so th i think the one that uh, people would enjoy the most is he created effectively the first public toilet um in so london nice. um it was called whittington's longhouse um, and it was set up in 1421. So if you imagine the city of London, um, obviously it's on the north bank of the River Thames, um, but there is a, a tributary of the river called the Walbrook, uh, so a fast-flowing stream that runs from north to south into mm -hmm. the River Thames. Now, when Dick Whittington was a as a kid, he would have seen that, he would have seen people, you know, scrubbing fur pelts and, and, and scraping hides, um, and it was a, you know, it was a dirty... Dirty and dirty, smelly and pretty smelly, um, unforgiving yeah. job. Horrible, horrible. And you got the butchers, you know, kind of pulling out the guts of the animals and chucking them into the river. I mean, it was pretty awful. Anyway, so he he finances this this um, this structure, which is uh, hangs over the edge of the river. It's roughly where Lower Thames Street is today, right. um, somewhere near um, near where the Vint the Vintners Hall is, the, the which is okay. another livery so near, hall. So this sort of Southwark, the, near, near Southwark, Southwark Bridge. Bridge. Near yeah. Southwark Bridge, that's right. Um, now, there was six, it was 128-seater, this thing. Oh, hello. Um, I know 64 seats on one side for women and 64 seats on one side for men. So they were divided by a partition. Right. But but when you were in your section, there were no partitions. So you basically sat next to each cheek other. Cheek to cheek. <laughs> cheek to, literally cheek, yeah. <laughs> and so you sat on a sort of hole in the, you know, in the bench. Yeah. And then, um, and, and the and the poo and the pee went straight down onto the mudflats of, of the river. And then, of course, when the tide 
rose. Um, it flushed away all the poo Sluice and the pee. Um, and of course, the Walbrook also helped to to sluice it and flush it. And of course, the tide took it all the way down well to France eventually. So you know, <laughs> um, nobody minds about that because we were you know <laughs> been at war with the French for um, about a hundred years, hadn't we? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, <have> that. <laughs> now I know, it doesn't sound very sanitary this 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 toilet, does it really? Um but but it was a vast improvement it on anything. Better than, yeah, yes. just going in the streets or whatever. Yes. And that's what people did, of course. I mean, yeah, I read the I read recently that there was there was a job in medieval London where there'd be somebody apparently with a hat and a cloak and a bucket and a shovel. And if you needed to go uh, do number two in the street, um, these people would stand round you with a cloak <gasps> and a bucket. Really? Yes, apparently. And you sort of did your business in the bucket, uh, you know, enclosed in the cloak. Um, and then I suppose, well, of course, they would use the they would use the poo for you know fertilizer and, and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, I've never these... heard about that. That's amazing. Do you know what they probably had some really bizarre name as well, didn't they? I know. I wonder. What, I, I yes, there was a name for this job. Perhaps we could, we could make it up. Yeah. <laughs> think of a fantastic <laughs> name. Um, so 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 this was a, a, a vast improvement. Um, I mean, many many other things. He um, he, he created a, a water a free clean water fountains uh, for the poor Amazing. Um, and the wealthy the wealthy were made to pay for access to the water in order to make oh. it available for the poor interesting um, Good division of wealth where guy's hospital is uh, so well well yes where guy's hospital is today um in uh in london bridge mm. uh, he founded a, a a hospital for unmarried mothers oh, lovely. Or for, for single mothers so i mean pretty forward that's thinking quite, that's quite forward thinking i was just gonna say it's it's pretty uh yeah, because yeah. they'd usually just be shunned, wouldn't they, rather than being helped? Yeah, and also mm-hmm. um, he basically financed the uh, the building of what we now know as the Guildhall in the city. So, so that mm. stone, those stone walls of the Guildhall mm. were thanks to Dick Whittington. Um, they date to about fourteen. 1415, Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, so that was sort of during his lifetime, and then when he died. Um, he'd made a will about two years before he died, and he'd made provision in the will for all kinds of other things, including the foundation of the Guildhall Library, which sits next to oh. the Guildhall itself. And this was to be a free library for, again, anyone that wanted to access the books. And, you know, this is at a time when books are expensive, right? I mean, yeah. you know, that they're handwritten manuscripts. Yeah, so having a lot um, of books would be having 20 books. That would be a lot of books. That yes. Would be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he financed a separate library for the Greyfriars Monastery wow. uh, in the city of London. Uh, I mean, we could go on. Oh, and the other great thing, and this is this is one of those really um, just facts that is, is worth throwing in next time we're in Westminster Abbey, is um, we know that Westminster Abbey was built in the 1200s by Henry III, but it wasn't actually finished until the late 1300s, early 1400s. So the yeah. main nave, yes, Mm-hmm. is built um, in the late 1300s. Well, Henry V was on the throne um, sort of, well, when the building work sort of started, I guess. And he put in money and there was a, a, a like a slush fund and Dick Whittington was put in charge of the slush oh. fund. And apparently Dick Whittington stipulated that the nave should be completed uh, in the original style of the early English Gothic. Um, and apparently there was a bit of a row with the abbot of, of, of Westminster Abbey who wanted it to be in the perpendicular, the, oh. the, the new the new perpendicular <laughs> the new, style. The new per- yeah. Yes. So it would have looked 
so had he got his way, we'd have had this much more lavish kind of perpendicular style in the nave, and then a much plainer sort of, you know, um, crossing. And uh, but Dick Whittington overruled him, and so the uniformity of Westminster Abbey is yeah is thanks to Dick Whittington. And actually, that, I'm just thinking, which would I prefer? Because the bit at the back, which is in perpendicular Gothic, God, this is nerdy now, isn't it? Um, which is the Henry VII Chapel, or the Lady Chapel, is perpendicular Gothic. And it is, I mean, one of my favourite places in London. It is so stunning. Um, so it would be amazing to have that at the front. But at the same time, it would look weird if it was half and half, wouldn't it? It would, yes. And actually, I think the great thing about Westminster Abbey is you go in and you, as we know, when we get to the Henry VII Chapel, we think, well, if you thought it was good so far, yeah. <laughs> here's the Henry VII Chapel. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So he had all these fingers in all these different kind of pies hmm. um, in the way that Geoffrey Chaucer did, right? You know, Geoffrey yeah. Chaucer was clerk of the works at Westminster Abbey. So, I mean, they, I mean, I, they must have... Well, if you think population would have been must so have much smaller and... now it's one of those weird things where people always pop up in stories in the past in the, in, you know, in the same stories and it's because there were so you know so many fewer people especially in the 1300s so it probably was Geoffrey Chaucer, Dick Whittington, the king and maybe three other people in the in all of England you know and that was it uh, <laughs> yes um, yeah so, John yeah, of Gaunt you know yes yeah yeah, yeah exactly tarting around with different hats on um yeah so they would have I guess they would have known each other yeah it's quite interesting to think because yeah these these figures that sort of sit slightly separately in their own, oh, this is who I was and what I did, to then cross them over is, is rather intriguing. Yeah. Do we know, he didn't follow Geoffrey Chaucer to be buried in the Abbey, did he? Do we know where he's buried? No, we do know. Well, that's a very interesting uh, question and an interesting story behind it. So he funded the building of a church in the city, um, mm-hmm. and that is the church of St. Michael Paternoster Royal, which oh, right. sits just at the bottom of College Hill. Uh, another little street yeah. that runs down towards the uh, down towards Lower Thames Street into the river, mm-hmm. um, and he l- lived on that street. So Dick Whittington had a house on the same street and funded the building of a new church. Um, and well, when London needs is more churches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so his when his wife died, she was buried in the church, yeah. um, and he also set up an almshouse on the street and. the the, so an almshouse being a sort of home for the, the poor, if you will, and a college for priests and no such thing as a free lunch. So one of the requirements of the priests and the people that lived in the almshouses was that they had to pray for uh, the souls of Dick Whittington's wife and King Richard II and <laughs> Geoffrey Chaucer, God knows who else. Um, and and when Dick died, of course, he, he would be included in the prayers. So he was when he died in 1423 he was buried in the church mm. and in quite a, a grand uh, tomb as you would expect and then of course well in 1666 what happens great fire of london great fire of london and 80% of medieval city is destroyed including the church and dick tomb. whittington's tomb um the church was rebuilt by sir christopher wren after the great fire and um, and then the church was bombed um, in 1944. Um, now, after the war, they thought, "Well, we'll try and look for, we'll try and look for Dick." Um, and and it, it had been Relational. sort of dis- it had been m- muted that, that he and his wife had been wrapped. Um, they'd been put in sort of lead coffins uh, and buried underneath um, the church floor. Anyway, long story short, no. No evidence was 
oh, ever really? found of of his burial. Wow. That we've never actually found his burial. However, Button, here's the here's the great reveal. What what they did find when they excavated after the Second World War was they found the remains, not making this up, of a mummified cat. Seriously? <laughs> now, so okay, we need, right. we need to deal with the cat, don't we? Because yes. we haven't dealt with the cat yet. No. Um where so if you go up to Highgate, not Amsterdam, there is a statue what, called the Whittington Stone to him, which does take the form of well, the part of it's a cat, isn't it? Where's this? Where does this cat come in? What's all this about? Yeah, well, it's 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 a very good question, and it's very much part of of the legend. And I mean, the first sort of really identifiable um, concrete story about Dick Whittington is 1656. Um, and it goes by the not short title of the famous and remarkable history of Sir Richard Whittington by Thomas Haywood. Um, <laughs> and on the front cover, make it snappy, Tom. Come on, it, yes, uh, is is an image of Dick, an engraving of Dick and his cat. So the cat features right from the okay. beginning in terms of the mythology. So there's no evidence, there's no hard evidence to suggest that Dick Whittington actually had a cat <laughs> during his lifetime. No, let's be clear about that. Um, and some people think it might be to do with like a play on words. So one of the theories is, um, is that it might be to do with the fact that a cat was a slang term for a boat, um, um, like, like a, a, a sort of small, um, I don't know, um, a small sailing boat. Right. And one of the theories was that Dick Whittington might, might have arrived not by road, but come round the coast and up the River Thames on okay. a cat. Um, another theory is that the word ash, ashat, now you're a French speaker, uh, Alex, so you, you might bear me out on this. So my understanding is the word ashat, A-C-H-A-T, means something like trade. Yeah, but it means buying. It means, yeah, shopping, yes. buying, that kind of thing. Yeah. So chat, cat, Oh, because yeah. Dick made his money, you see, through uh, trade. Yeah. Ashat. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas of course in the story, it's the it's the cat that that makes Dick's fortune. Um interesting. Yes. So it you know, there's all all, all this I it's like all that it's all theory. It's quite a nice theory, isn't it? Um, um and I suppose that obviously, I mean, most people in medieval London did have cats, didn't they? Because mm. And most of them mice. had an understanding of French as well, because I yes, mean, French was spoken. In fact, yeah, yeah, that's right. Especially in the upper um, oh, Yeah, and there is there is an there is an engraving of Dick Whittington by a man called Ronald Elstrack, who did it in um, sort of early sixteen hundreds. And this engraving, there's an image of Dick Whittington um, with a cat, but it's based on what we believe was a portrait of Dick Whittington that was made during his lifetime, um, okay. which was owned. By the Mercer's company, but but wherever this portrait was or is, it, it doesn't survive anymore. Right. But the, in the original, well, it's quite complicated. But there was an engraving made of the original portrait, which originally had a skull at the bottom of the portrait, like you know okay. a memento mori, you know yeah. a reminder of death. And at some point, this skull morphed into a cat, as you do. Yes, and as the engraving got updated, um, Dick Whittington became more kind of smiley in the engraving and, and, and the cat became a bit more smiley as well. Love it. Um, and you might think, well, I suppose adding a cat to the story just makes him a, maybe a nicer guy. Maybe. Because rather than just being this hard-nosed, like, you know, oligarch, capitalist, loan shark, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
having a cat, you know, he must be a nice guy if he's got a cat. Even if he just popped it into the, uh, uh, you know, the sort of storage bits where all his linens were to keep the mice away or something. But yeah. Yes, yes. And, and again, I mean, if you go back in mythology, there are very old or ancient stories about cats bringing good luck to people. Mm, if you go back, even like ancient Egypt, I mean, obviously we know cats were worshipped and revered and in Hindu mythology. And Puss in Boots is mm. is a very old story of a sort and of... And we still, um, you know, it's it's where the black cat crossing, crossing your path comes from, which I yes. always led to be good luck, but some people say bad luck. So, I, you know, whatever. Pick your luck, I suppose. Um, yeah, I think in this country it's deemed to be good luck, isn't it? A black cat know. crossing over your path. I think well, I've is. always taken it that way. Yeah, That's and actually, usually, think... usually, Dick is depicted with a black cat. That has to be said. Yeah, I mean, I just think yeah. seeing a cat anyway is a is a good day. But you know, um, mm. I'm a I'm an animal lover. What can I say? So where do, where do you think it? This fairly, I mean, I say straightforward. It is a relatively straightforward story of okay, a pretty remarkable guy who earned a lot of cash. How does that morph into this pantomime? version that we've got of him you know trudging off to Highgate and all of this stuff where how did that make that leap what what where, you know when pantomime started why was that one of the stories that was selected especially from it being so you know far so long ago what how does that make the leap do we know no well the like I said the first pantomime version was with um with Grimaldi and um I suppose well and there were elements added to the story by the time the pantomime came along, um, including like an overseas like story. Right. So in the pantomime, what happens is um, so so Dick's living in the, in the house and the alderman goes on an international sea voyage um, and everyone in the household is required to give something to the to the voyage. Right. Mm. Now, all Dick's got is this cat that he's acquired um, from somewhere and the old one goes on the voyage. The voyage goes off course somewhere off the coast of North Africa, somewhere near Tunisia, let's say. It varies slightly according to the source. And this sultan buys all the cargo from the ship. Now, this is all in this is all we don't get this until the pantomime story. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a banquet to celebrate this trade deal. And then the banquet is ruined by an invasion of rats. Uh, but luckily, Alderman Fitzwarren has the cat on the boat and the oh. cat is brought ashore and the cat gets rid of the mice and the rats. And Dick Whittington ends up making money. He makes a small fortune because he's been promised a, a percentage of the profits um, when Alderman Fitzwarren gets back. Interesting. So in the pantomime, you get characters like King Rat or sometimes now, you know, Queen Rat. Um, you get you you get like a, a character of of the the fairy of the bow bells or the spirit of the bow bells, mm-hmm. and I think in the pantomime sometimes the spirit actually is the one that gives Dick the cat. So, you know, there are so many versions, um, but it's really the pantomime that 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 that, that cements the the story. Mm. In answer to your sorry original question, I mean, we I think we know about about why the whole story of the leaving and, and the bells um i guess it just makes for a better story again doesn't it really no but it just it just is so interesting that it came, it's come from nowhere and has become this really big story that we all know so well yeah because the bells but are the, the, sort of the big part of it as well aren't they the bells and the and the you know turn again um dick whittington thrice lord mayor of london that's that's the bit everyone remembers so it seems really odd that it's not rooted in any kind of fact at all. No, 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 we don't think it is. Do we but have any did... links to, with him to Highgate? Did he ever go there? Do we know, you know, he never 
No, concrete. no, not at all. But Wonderful. boy, have they capitalized on it. I mean, oh, they've yeah, got right. that stone. Uh, yeah. They've got the sculpture of the cat on yeah. the stone. On the stone, yeah. There's, a, I think it's a Weatherspoons pub uh, called the Whittington Arms <laughs> next to it. And if you turn around, if you turn again, <laughs> um, there's a hospital. There's the Whittington Hospital. Of course there is, yeah. Which has no link at all. So he he that wasn't anything that was funded by him. It just happens to be called the Whittington because of the links to Dick Whittington. Um or or no links to Dick Whittington, that's the case, maybe. Or no links, yeah. And of course the other thing is, and and this is the the, the other key um legacy, is that those almshouses he funded, um he left seven thousand pounds in his will. Most of the money was to be divided up between charities. Um, and the Mercer's company today, which is the wealthiest livery company in the city of London, they administer the Richard Whittington Fund. Um, and oh. I'm just quoting this off the top of my head, but they give away something like a million pounds a year alone. Just from uh, that fund? Just for um, almshouses. And I think they actually give away 15 million pounds in charitable giving in total. But the Whittington Fund has been building up since Dick Whittington left it to the Mercers in 1423. And there are 52, I think it's 52, yeah, 52 bungalows down in East Grinstead in Sussex. And those almshouses or bungalows are funded from Richard Whittington's that's fund. amazing. That's, that's amazing. 700 so these, years later. Well, 700 years later. 700 yep. years later. 600 years later. still going. This, these almshouses are being funded um, from the same pot of money. Um, and I looked this up and this made me laugh. Uh, so so in order to live in one of these retirement homes, we'd call them now, right, retirement homes, you have to be, I think it's sort of single female or a couple in financial need. One of the rules apparently of living in the complex is you're not allowed to have a cat. Really? <laughs> which, seems, which seems really mean, doesn't it? Actually, it's it's you'd think it'd be like, you have to have a cat. That's yes, the you rule. have to have a cat, yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, you know what? We are a deeply, deeply mad country, aren't we? But aren't we? It's bonkers, isn't it? It's bonkers <laughs> what we've been talking about, really. <laughs> but sometimes little gems like this are really worth all the mad stuff. Yeah. For... But if you think about people in the world today, um, people like Bill Gates, and I think there's a whole group of billionaires in the States now that have got together and they're, and, and they're, they're planning to give away oh. the majority of their of their wealth. I hadn't heard about that. That's, that's good. It's not coming our way, is it? No. Um, <laughs> Chance to be a fine thing. <laughs> but but he but he he was a kind of you know quite quite a trailblazer really in giving away the majority of of his wealth to good causes. Goodness me. Well, I have to say, I'm a bit of a fan of Dick Whittington now. Right. I knew, I, I knew I'd like Dick. I knew it. I just knew it. <laughs> you just had to end with another you another Dublin Tondra, didn't you? <laughs> Yes. In fact, I think well, it's very much a single on If you want yes. to go and look for Dick in 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 the city, you know there there, there are uh, you can follow the Dick Trail. Um, <laughs> Plenty of places where where Dick can be located. Um, yes, and in fact, there are certain places where you can see Dick with his pussy. Um, <laughs> in the corner I'm of the Guildhall. I'm going to have to put an explicit rating on this now. <laughs> Didn't want to have to do that. We'll edit that bit out. <laughs> no, we won't. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Simon. That is uh, what a great story. I, I I never thought to even look into him um, other than just sort of going, oh, yeah, it's vaguely true. 
Yes. Um, well, you see, somebody we, 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 we talk about, right? We, we mention yeah. him, we talk about him. He's, he's he, you know, we know he's the Lord Mayor, but well, there is so much more to him. It's um, funny because I actually don't talk about him a lot because he's only really known by Brits. Uh, and I got a yes. lot of Americans and Americans have never heard of Dick Whittington because sensibly they don't have Panto. Um, <laughs> Panto yes. is, again, deeply mad. Um, so when I say, oh, the story of Dick Whittington, they're like, what? So I, I actually rarely mention him. Um, yeah. But now we can so. talk about him in a wider context, maybe about, you know, philanthropy and giving. And yeah. Americans definitely understand that because that, that's a yeah. huge thing in America, isn't it? You know, the idea of giving and philanthropy and yeah. Amazing. Yes. Thank you so much, Simon. What a treat to have you back. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Alex. Um, and and thanks for inviting me to talk about oh, Dick absolutely. Whittington. And we're going to get you back uh, later in the year. Uh, to chat all things Agatha Christie when we're getting a bit closer oh. to her birthday. Oh, yes. Um, hurrah. But that'll be later in the year. So you can you have to wait for that, everyone. Um, but that's going to be a, a good chat. But thank you so much, Simon, for, for coming and uh, chatting about him. And See giving you. everyone my dick. Wonderful. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure is entirely all yours. <laughs> right, my lovely. Uh, we're going to end there. But thank you so much for coming along. Well, there we have it. Uh, thank you so much to Simon for coming and joining me. He's always a lot of fun. Um, and he, he always knows so much more than me. It's very depressing. <laughs> um, yeah, but there we go. So um, all the questions you ever had about Dick Whittington, hopefully answered in that podcast but for me and that's it for this week thank you so much for popping along uh, next week i'm going to introduce you to my new co-host and um we will be kind of yeah changing the podcast well not changing it but kind of keeping going in a slightly new format um oh also i did speak to emily this week and she wanted me to say hi to you all and pass on all of her love. She's still baking that baby. It's not not fully cooked yet. And I asked her if she'd listen to the podcast. Do you remember she promised? She did promise, right? And she said no. What? I genuinely. So uh, <laughs> she said she thinks she's going to be disappointed that she's not in it anymore, <laughs> which I understand. Um, but, you know, if you could all give her a nudge and just say that you're incredibly disappointed that she's just, you know, given up listening. I think... It's, it's the least she can do. No, I'm joking. She can, of course, do what she wants. She's far too busy bouncing around uh, fields in the middle of nowhere, dressed like a sparkly beach ball um, at Butlin's Raves and things like that. But anyway, um, I digress. So uh, I'm going to love you and leave you. Thank you so much for popping along this week. Again, as please get in touch. I love hearing from you, um, seeing what you enjoyed. Uh, somebody's asked for more war history, um, so we can definitely consider that in the future as well. Um, but for me, this is it. Peace out, lovelies. Speak to you next week. Mm -hmm.